Pelabar. Uh, and uh, as has already been um, spoken about this morning, uh, we're looking at the theme of rest today, part of that, that series uh, of uh, common sense for the silly season. Uh, rest uh, and weariness is something I think that is kind of common to a lot of people at this time of the year. So we're looking at that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks and praise to you that you are a God who speaks to us. Lord, that you have revealed yourself. Uh, Lord, that you have revealed uh, to us uh, not only who you are, but Lord, who we are as your creatures and, and what, it, what is best for us. Father, as we look at the theme of rest, particularly and its relate, with its relationship to uh, this Christmas season, Lord, we pray that you would give us uh, understanding. Lord, that your spirit would be at work in our hearts so that we may know your truth. And Lord, that you would uh, equip us to live it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you haven't heard it yet in the shops or uh, on the radio, you soon will. What am I talking about? I'm talking about Mariah Carey's 1994 Christmas classic, All I Want for Christmas is You. Now, it's not a carol, is it? Uh, It doesn't even remotely come close to speaking about uh, what we believe is true about Christmas, but it has become ubiquitous with Christmas. Uh, And there's that great refrain in it. She kind of finishes the, 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 the first verse or the chorus, All I Want for Christmas, and then there's this kind of long pause Now, we all know what Mariah says. She's talking about some bloke. All I want for Christmas is you. But in that pause, all I want for Christmas, it gives us enough time to think about what it is that we want. Uh And maybe it's just that uh, I'm a dad of two little kids with number three on the way, but the thing that pops into my mind is rest. All I want for Christmas is rest. And maybe you do too. Because I think sometimes getting through the Christmas season feels like you're some kind of out-of-shape marathon runner just, you know, falling over the line. Uh, because let's face it, the Christmas season, what's called the, the, the silly season, basically begins at the end of November. You've got all your, uh, all your, your uh, school awards nights uh, that you kind of go to as the, as the school year winds up. Then you enter kind of Christmas uh, office party season. Then you kind of start thinking about carols and church services and family gatherings. And hey, look, all those things are great. Not not speaking against those things at all, but there's no doubt uh, that collectively they can make us exhausted, can't they? We get to this time of the year and most people are pretty tired. Uh, And I think sometimes things can be made worse uh, by articles that kind of pop up on Facebook or in Better Homes and Gardens with it's a hundred things you can do this Christmas to make it really zing. Uh, and you can think, well, hey, look, my Christmas is going to be pretty ordinary because look at that list of things to do. Um, it's just incredible. And I think there's this external pressure that we feel in our tiredness to do more, to make things even better. It's no surprise, it's no surprise that I think Lots of us just want a good rest. So as we look in this series, Common Sense for the Silly Season, I think it's good for us to think about rest. And uh, one of the things that's true is that the Bible has a lot to say about rest. And it's ironic that the Christmas season, which includes so much busyness, actually celebrates an event that is central 
to God bringing rest to a weary and restless world. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, look at three headings. The first is we're going to re-examine rest. Secondly, we're going to, um, no, we're going to rediscover rest. Secondly, we're going to re-examine weariness. And thirdly, we're going to receive God's rest this Christmas. So let's have a a rediscovery of rest. What is rest? Um, The Bible actually has lots to say about it. In fact, uh, as you saw in the readings Charles gave us, Genesis 2 is the first time we read about rest. happens very, very early. Uh, Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array... By the seventh day, the Lord had finished. By the seventh day, God had finished the work He'd been doing. So, on the seventh, He rested from His work, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it He rested from the work of creating He had done. Now, what I find surprising is that the first person who rests in Scripture is God. That's interesting, isn't it? Because God doesn't grow weary; He doesn't get tired. Uh, He doesn't have a cap on how much energy he has. And yet after his seven days of creating, six days of creating, he rests on the seventh. He takes a a holy day, a a holiday. That's kind of where the English words come from, isn't it? Um, So right at the beginning of the Bible, God builds into the ecosystem of our world rhythms of work and rest. And both are affirmed as really good. So uh, if you're a kind of a sloth among us this morning, you really don't like work, you really like rest, um, you need to hear that work is good. Even before the fall, uh, God said to Adam and Eve, work the garden, be fruitful and increase in number, rule the earth and subdue it. Work. Certainly, work got a lot harder after the fall. Uh, It became part of the curse. But work is a good thing. Equally, rest is a good thing. So all the workaholics among us, rest is good. We can't always be working, we need to rest. And that is why when God took his people out of Egypt and he made them his own, Israel, the fifth of the uh, Ten Commandments was a commandment for rest. Deuteronomy 5 verse 12, God says to Israel, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey or any other animals, nor the aliens within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, there's this lovely symmetry, isn't there, with Genesis 2, that in, seven, in six days, God did his work of creating in that creation week. On the seventh, he rested. And so he says to Israel, you two work six days, Six days, six days, and uh, rest on the seventh. Isn't that, isn't that merciful of God, that he gives us rest? Uh, I think for a lot of people in the ancient world, their understanding of God was that he kind of was up in the heavens uh, and he didn't really do a lot because he created his creatures to do all the work for him and he didn't really give them any rest. Well, the scriptures of Israel, the word of God actually presents God very differently. 
Part of us being created beings is we are finite. We wear out and we need rest. And in fact, if we don't rest, we almost kind of become less than human, don't we? Just ask my wife if I haven't had enough rest, what I'm like. I'm irritable, I'm grumpy, I don't function. We need rest, don't we? And so God gives his people Israel this day of rest, and it wasn't just for them, it was for manservants and maidservants, it was for the animals. You're to rest, he said. And it, I think most of us generally think about rest in such a way. We stop working. It's this physical break. But I wonder whether you notice that there's more to rest than just a physical break, physical rest. There's more packed in here. Uh, in Deuteronomy 5, that, 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 that uh, fifth commandment, the seventh, the seventh day, the Sabbath, is described as a day to the Lord. A day to the Lord. See, it was a set-apart day from the distractions of, of work so that they could give their attention to the Lord. And so in, Jude- in Leviticus 23, if we're not going to look at it, but if you were to go home after this and look at Leviticus 23, you'll see that the Sabbath, it says, was a day of sacred assembly, a day when God's people gathered together to worship together to pray, to sing, to, to, to hear God's word. Now, that doesn't mean that the rest of the week isn't worship. We know all of life for God's people is, is, is a life of worship. But it does mean that there was this significant thing in, in, in stopping work, in getting together, to commune with God, to pray to him. Now, you might kind of be thinking, well, hold on, Josh, that doesn't sound like rest to me. Uh, when I think of rest, I just think of doing nothing, switching my brain off. How is communion with God resting? Well, I think Augustine, uh, the, the, the uh, bishop in the 4th and 5th century, Bishop of Hippo, I think he summarises it well. This is what he writes in his confessions. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Something about the way that God made us means that we're made to know God. We're made to be known by God. There is no rest for humanity without the presence of God, without a relationship with God. Yes, there may be a physical break, but there's no true rest from our restlessness, is it? And that's why I think that little reference to Egypt is so important at the end. I'm not, not sure whether you noticed in verse 15, at the end of that, uh, of that verse, it talks about Israel being enslaved in Egypt, but that God brought them out of Egypt with his mighty hand, with his powerful arm. Now, why would you mention that in a command about rest? Well, think about it. In Egypt, Israel was slaves. Now, slaves don't get rest, do they? There's no, there's no rest for a slave. And yet, what God did was he, he took these people, he rescued them from this slavery to a foreign power. He takes them out of Egypt into their own land, the promised land, a land of rest, because there is the temple, there is the tabernacle. There God is present among his people. That is rest. 
Rest is communing with our Creator. It's reveling in redemption, that we're no longer enslaved to the tyrants of this world, those, those powers that would rail against God and against us. It is redemption from that. That is what rest is. See, rest isn't just rest for the body, is it? It's rest for our restless and weary souls. Now, I just want you to think for a moment how that stacks up to your understanding of rest. I I suspect most of us would think that rest is stopping work. It's physically having a break. But I wonder whether you perhaps are thinking about rest as it's communing with your creator, as it's reveling in your redemption. Well, that's what it is. That's what scripture says it is. And that's why when we actually get to the New Testament particularly the book of Hebrews, it actually says that rest is a metaphor for our final salvation, isn't it? For that that great moment when God will make all things new, where he will take his people home. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. He writes uh, in Hebrews chapter 4 about Joshua. Now remember, Joshua didn't take Israel out of Egypt, but he did take them into the promised land, the land of rest, And this is what it says. For if Joshua had given them, that's Israel, rest, God wouldn't have spoken to them about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their work, just as God did from his. Here's here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Yes, Joshua took the people into the promised land, into the land of rest, but But there is another rest, a greater rest, a rest that the Sabbath points us to, the rest of our final salvation. It's this rest that we see described in, you know, Revelation 21 and 22, where God will finally put an end to all evil and sin, where every tear will be wiped from our eye, where everything will be made new, where there will be no evil, where Satan will not have uh, his way with people in the world. It is this complete redemption, isn't it? It is to know God and to be fully known by God. See, this metaphor of slavery that Israel was in Egypt is a metaphor for us in our sinful condition. It's a a metaphor of restlessness, of weariness, that we're enslaved to sin, we're enslaved to death, we're enslaved to Satan... We're enslaved to those tyrants. See, there's no rest there, is there? No rest. We're restless. And yet, in redemption, in God's redemption, we, we, we find rest. There is an end to striving, an end to the pursuit of trying to prove ourselves. That's rest. Now, What does that have to do with Christmas, with Jesus coming into this world? Well, uh, yes, we're feeling tired and busy, so it's good to talk about rest. But but there's more than that, isn't there? Because Christmas is the coming of God the Son into a weary, restless and enslaved world. And when he came, this is what he says, of, of the many things he says. Matthew 11, 28, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, part of God sending Jesus into this world was this invitation to those who are weary and burdened, 
to come and find rest, come and find true rest. See, Jesus is the Sabbath, isn't he? Jesus is our Sabbath because in him we receive redemption. In him, living a perfect life, dying, death on the cross and then being raised up, he secures our redemption. In him, we meet God, we can know God. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, and in him, we find rest. And so to a world burdened by sin, rebellion and idolatry, Jesus says, come. Come and get rest. So, so there, there's rest. I think given that that's rest, it's worth kind of re-examining our, our weariness a little, isn't it? Because many of us, I think, feel weary. And given this time of the year, I think that's understandable. But, but I wonder whether some of our weariness at Christmas can also be this warning light that our hearts aren't resting in God. We're weary and burdened because we're not resting in God. See, some of us may be weary because we're people pleasers. We can't say no. And so in all the busyness of Christmas, we just get stuck in that rut of busyness because, well, we don't want to disappoint people. And so in request, can we just say yes, yes, yes? See, some of our weariness comes from people pleasers, the fear of man. Others might be weary because you're a perfectionist and Christmas just has to be perfect. You know, it has to have that perfect lunch, have to have the perfect presence, the perfect photo of lunch that you can kind of throw up on Instagram because who wants an ordinary Christmas? What I find interesting is just how the word ordinary doesn't just kind of mean normal anymore, normal, average. It actually means something bad, doesn't it? If something's ordinary, it's bad. Now, I don't know how that happened. It just did. But ordinary, like ordinary is good. Middle of the road. There's nothing wrong with that at Christmas. Just an ordinary Christmas lunch. Maybe it's perfectionism that's making you weary. Or maybe it's possessions. This time of the year, our mailboxes get filled with a big wad of our junk mail our, our, our inboxes, our email inboxes get filled with emails from all kinds of retailers. And it's very tempting, isn't it, to click on them, to open them and think, what am I missing out on? What kind of deal could I get? What bargain could I get? What is it for you? See, maybe your weariness this year, yes, it's about physically being tired, but it's also... Because it's tempting to continue to live onto those old masters that you've actually been redeemed from. Now, don't hear me wrongly. Please, you can enjoy a good present this Christmas. Enjoy buying presents. You can enjoy good food this Christmas. You can enjoy saying yes to somebody to go to, you know, the carols events or Christmas services, all those things. Simply what I'm saying is, is that when created things get in the way of us seeing our creator coming to earth, well, it's a sign that something's wrong with our hearts, isn't it? And so Jesus' invitation is, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Rest for your bodies, but rest for your souls. 
See, I, I, I think um, this has been a helpful thing for me to think about because I think typically when I think about rest at Christmas, I think about Boxing Day cricket, you know, there in your lounge room, lying on the couch, just feasting on leftovers from the day before. That's rest, you know, that's great. I think often, I think of rest happening after Christmas. The reality is, is rest happens because of Christmas, doesn't it? True rest happens because of Christmas. It's only possible because God the Son left the glory of heaven. He took on flesh to die and rise again so that we can know redemption. That we can know our heavenly Father. That we can rest with him. So we can rest in that this Christmas. That doesn't mean you can't watch the Boxing Day cricket. doesn't mean you can't enjoy leftovers, but... But that's not a scratch on what real, true rest is. And so what are some concrete things we can do to live this out this Christmas? Well, I'm just going to finish with four kind of concrete points of application. And the first is simply this. Um, make rest more than about leisure this Christmas. I think in Australia, the, you know, the great doctrine we get taught is rest equals leisure. Rest equals going away on a holiday, it equals a sleep in. It equals going out for breakfast somewhere, going to a, a Boxing Day movie. Now, they're good things, but, but as I've already said, if those are the sum total of what we see as rest, well, we're just, we're just missing out on so much of what God gives us in Christ. You know, rest is, is communing with our Creator. It's, it's reveling in our redemption. It's... It's, it's, it's spending some time talking to God and listening to him speak to us. It's maybe sharing with our children and our spouse what God has been doing in our life, what we're, what we're rejoicing in. Make, leisure, make rest more than leisure this Christmas. To that end, I want to commend you, maybe, this is the second tip, to, to read a Christian book uh, this Christmas break. So I've got a couple of recommendations for you. Uh, this is one Debs and I have been reading this Christmas season, Hidden Christmas by Tim Keller. Uh, it's a couple of years old, uh, great book. And as it says, it's kind of Hidden Christmas. He explores some of the meanings of Christmas that aren't so perhaps obvious. Uh, excellent book. Uh, if you've read that one or you were thinking about something else, this is a, an old Christian classic, Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Now, I have to confess to have only read the first eight chapters. Um, Nonetheless, it is an excellent book. Uh, and if you've kind of uh, got kids or if you're a teenager here, um, by all means, dip into these ones. Uh, but you might also want to think about a book by John Dixon called A Sneaking Suspicion. kind of answers some of the questions that kind of come up in your younger years about, you know, what is the world, what is life about, uh, what, what, what do I do with doubts? Now, none of this stuff, it's going to kind of necessarily make you more restful. But what it does is it, it turns our minds to God, doesn't it? Perhaps it sets our imaginations on fire with some truths that we've known, but they're explained in different ways. So read a Christian book. Number three, tip number three uh, is say no to something. Say no to something this Christmas, particularly if you're the people pleaser type. It's okay to say no, uh, particularly... Uh, if saying yes means that you're just not really having any time with your creator God. 
particularly if it means that. So feel free to say no to something, you know, whether it's an invitation somewhere that's just going to kind of hijack the whole day or the, a, a couple of days. Say no to something. And fourthly um, is unplug. Sign off technology for a day or two or three or the week. Uh, put the phone in a cupboard somewhere. Uh, close the laptop. Uh, this morning when I woke up, uh, I think it was before the kids, and uh, I noticed how easy it is to be distracted by the phone. You kind of walk out into the kitchen area. My phone's sitting there on the kitchen bench, and all it takes is just one, one click of the button, and there's a whole bunch of things that are on the screen. It's very, very hard for them to get your mind into the Word, into prayer. It's very hard. And I think that's just kind of a reality of the world that we live in now, isn't it? Uh, there's uh, somebody I listened to recently said, uh, she was on a podcast I was listening to, recently said, the greatest threat to Christianity in the West is the iPhone. Now, you know, I think that's a bit of hyperbole there, but nonetheless, there's a lot of truth, isn't it? It's the fact that we live in a world where we are constantly distracted. Uh, and in a world of constant distraction, it is so hard to stop. And not just to stop, but to give our attention to our God. And so unplug. Take a sabbatical from Netflix or gaming. Uh, not necessarily because you know, technology is inherently bad, but, but if it gets in the way of us living the kind of lives that God calls us to live and, and finding rest and getting rest, well, I think it's worth doing, isn't it? So let's pray that God might help us to receive the rest he offers us in Jesus this Christmas. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give thanks to you for your word and the way it just, it just speaks to, I guess, reality that we are restless until we find our rest in you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have done everything to give us rest in your son Jesus in sending him to us. Lord, that he has redeemed us from those powers that enslave us. Lord, that he has come to us and revealed you to us as Emmanuel, God with us. And so, Heavenly Father, this Christmas, we do pray for a physical break, a rest of the body. But Lord, we pray that we may also know the rest of the soul. Lord, that we might come to you, eager to talk to you, eager to hear you to speak to us. Father, that, that, that we may rejoice once again in your redemption. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I'll um, quickly do some announcements in the rest season. There's still a bit going on. Um, so, of course, uh, if you're coming along to the carols,